Welcome back to the Replatform Podcast. It is myself, James Gerd, and I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Rogers. Uh, how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Recovering from a bit of the hangover this morning. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a bit better. I, I'm, I'm like, I've finally come out of the back of a long, long post-COVID misery and have energy again. So I'm feeling quite good and I'm glad it's perfect timing for the weekend. It's good. Um, right, let's crack on. So thanks for, for, for tuning in to us again. Um, if you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe. Uh, the more the merrier helps us to, to basically uh, get the word out. Um, we're talking today about how to properly evaluate an e-commerce platform. So why are we doing this? Like, it's always the million dollar question. You, you, you're doing a re-platforming or you're considering investing in e-commerce technology and you just don't know how you do your due diligence. How do you really know if the platform's fit for purpose? Um, often people get to the point where they've got a preferred platform, but they've got to validate it and mitigate any potential risks out of it. So we come up across we come across this a lot where where people go in and they might look at a platform in a very light way and not get a detailed assessment and not really understand the the implications of the decisions they're making in terms of like operational impact, process implications, integration uh, uh, efficiencies. So what we're going to talk about today is how do you evaluate a new platform to get meaningful insights and avoid just like a vanilla box ticking RFP exercise, which doesn't help anybody. So we're going to cover knowing what capabilities to focus on and, and key gotchas, how to run effective demos, how to do due diligence. Um, sound good to you, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. A, a, a full, full jug of water for the rehydration. Excellent. Um, right. So let's start with a, uh, I think the classic question of this is, why do you need to do, why do you need to understand this? Why do you need to really think about this carefully? What are the nasty surprises and, and like hidden costs if you don't understand platform fit properly? Yeah, so um, so for me, I think one of the difficulties with this is that every platform or most platforms say the same thing. Um, so regardless of what they, or in a lot of cases, regardless of what they can do or how deep the features are or how far you can go with certain aspects of the platform, typically they'll say the same thing. And, you know, they'll all talk about how agile the platform is, how easy it is to extend, you know, the low cost of ownership once you go through the launch, all of that stuff. But it's not the reality. And I hmm. think I've known a number of clients that have, you know, gone onto a proprietary platform or gone onto one of the more expensive platforms let's say, and they've gone into it of like really, um, you know, I guess uh, loads of misconceptions. So they think, you know, we're gonna, we've got this massive roadmap, we're going to deliver it all within the first 12 months and then they go live and they just don't have the budget to actually do it. Um, or, you know, yeah, there's certain limitations within the platform then they've ended up having to re-platform again 12 months down the line. And I think that's where you've just got, like, and we say this on all these episodes, but you've just got to be super diligent. You almost can't listen to anything the platform say. You've got to go and speak to people that have actually used it for a period of time. Um, try and get hands-on if you can. Um, and then the, the cost thing, which you mentioned there, I think is a big one because I had a call with someone a couple of days ago that were looking at, one of the more expensive enterprise platforms in the market. And they were a little bit, um, they, I don't think they were super experienced in the platform world, quite a big company. And they had this view that once you go live on this really expensive enterprise platform, everything's super simple. You know, like you almost, you barely need to work with the developer, you know, they've got, they felt like the platform had a massive ecosystem, which is yeah. like the opposite of the reality. Um, 
and I guess yeah the whole thing I just felt like they had the completely wrong view on the platform um and for me that's where like the costs really start to ramp up like that same platform one of our clients spent 50 grand into a new payment gateway um and stuff like that can actually like really hamper the progress you can make um yeah getting through that roadmap introducing new features etc i think that's the thing it's you all platforms are very good at evangelizing what their platform because of course they're going to because they're trying to get more people onto it Uh, and it's not it's not nefarious people are just trying to promote what they see but you do get um uh, internal bias when you when you're tr- constantly looking at what your platform's good at and i think you, you have to take it with a pinch of salt and you have to positively challenge it and i'm with you in this because there is nothing worse than a business being sold this utopian vision of yeah it's going to solve all your problems and you get to the end of a project and it goes live and the shit hits the fan and customer services can't do the things they wanted to and the process is more challenging it's taking them more time it's slowing them down and then three months in people think the platform's crap um and it's because their expectations haven't been set or the project hasn't addressed the the issues each department will face and come up with a solution that they will buy into so yeah i think that's the key thing is this is about avoid nasty surprises no platform's perfect so if you evaluate it properly and we're going to talk about how to do that now at least you come out the other end knowing what the limitations are um it's classic risk management know a risk do you do you ignore it because you're happy with it do you avoid it and put a plan in place do you reduce it by doing some customization or using a different a third party to you know all of these all of these things that you need to make a decision so that you have transparency um okay so let's move on to the next thing like where do people get things wrong and how do you avoid them so my starting I guess let my, my way of teeing this up for you, mate, is you don't, nobody needs to just go through a vanity tick box exercise where you reel off a list of features and a vendor goes, yep, we can do that. We can do that. We can do that. And all you've done is the, what do you have? Not, not how does it work and how do I use it? So that's my starting point. Um, with that in mind, like what, what are the, the key issues? Where do people get it wrong and what, how do you avoid it? Yes, I think um, one thing is not focusing on what you need from the platform over a certain period of time. So a lot of people will get sold on, you know, personalization service and, you know, a set of APIs and, you know, really pretty, a really pretty UI and like all of that kind of stuff. But they won't actually look at like, you know, um, the order management capabilities or certain aspects of like, PIM features, all of that kind of stuff that they actually need from the platform. And one that I know you want to dig deeper on later is the multi-store piece. And, you know, the a level of depth you need to go into these days around that to really know the platform suitable and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's probably what the biggest one, um, just focusing on the, you know, the pretty selling points that the platform might, you know, want to put in front of your CMO um, rather than the things that are actually, you know, going to be important to the business. Um, I think another one for me, one of the big issues is lock-in. Um, so I don't think we've got this written down. I'm not actually sure this, this is the right area to talk about, it, but I think that's one, like in historically, there used to be a lot of proprietary platforms and, you know, probably 50% of the people that moved to that platform, those platforms would regret it. And it wasn't that the platform was wrong. It's just that their expectations weren't set around the cost of doing things because, you know, the platform will sell it as like, you know, we've got all these other brands that are going to do all this stuff and you're going to get the features. But then the reality is actually like, you know, a lot of those features aren't relevant or, you know, they don't meet the requirements, et cetera, et cetera. And then the cost, it comes back down to that cost piece. But that's the, that's another one where I think 
even with uh, particularly when you start to talk about headless as well um it is very easy to go into a situation thinking you've got loads of freedom and then suddenly get locked into an agency and the same applies when you start doing like heavy customization that you know the agency has built document or like maybe not documented you know ends up being like almost proprietary and you end up getting locked in um so yeah i think uh that's um another big one and then one other one i put here is just not being long term not thinking long term so you know a lot of people i've spoke to loads of businesses that have gone onto a platform it's perfect for them but suddenly actually they want to go and do a load of stuff with marketplace or they want to go and yeah. you know introduce a load of localized sites in different territories or you know they want to do something complex with payments like and they just physically can't do it on the platform and then again they end up having you know some costs around that platform migration and going and losing a six months to another one yeah definitely um a couple of ones for me and it links back to you talking about um focus on pretty features and not the things that are most critical. I, I've seen this before where people mistake how other sites that are using that platform look for what that platform can do. Yeah. And so they confuse design and the UX UI for platform capability and application. And it's really important to get people to stop thinking about, I've had this before on a, on a platform that, that actually is very, very good fit for a business, but the client examples for it weren't beautiful looking sites functionally very good you know performance core you know thing if you look at the core performance and speed etc and the the key features but it's just that the that for whatever reason the brands and agencies that built on that platform hadn't delivered a absolutely stunning um beautiful uh, aesthetic site and having to get people to, to to not be swayed by that and realizing that you can make a site look very good provided the tooling within the platform uh, enables you to create the customization of the theme and how that how you'd customize it and what the impact of customization is on performance so yeah getting people to to think about those two bits um and then the other one is is not thinking about process i've seen too many people take a process that they they basically bought to process because there's an issue with the current technology they're using so they've created like a hack and a manual workaround and instead of trying to put a best in practice process in place in future, they simply take into the new platform. Okay, we we do this. How does your platform do it? And look at how they replicate it. You've got to you've got to almost just rip up um, some of your process thinking and go right. What is the best process? How yeah. do we improve the process for the customer for the business? Simplify systems integrations, and then look at the platform with that in mind. Look at platform with a best in practice process, and also, um, it it's just not challenging um, vendors or SIs on that platform and say, right, this is our process. We don't think it's necessarily the, the fit for purpose. What is a better way of doing this with your technology and how have you done this for other people? I think that's really important. I think that's probably one of the most, uh, possibly the most important thing and one of the most relevant to like nowadays. So I think this applies a lot with Shopify. So I've seen so many businesses going with like hundred requirements and there's like 10 of them and it's like on paper Shopify can't do it. And there's like loads of workarounds, you know, there's like, you know, they're really um non-critical features. And if the business was open-minded and said, actually, you know, we'll change how we do this, or we're going to prioritize this massive thing over here, or, you know, we're going to see the benefit and how agile you can be with Shopify or the ecosystem around it. Um, but actually, you know, it's things like, yeah, just things that Shopify doesn't do well. And yeah, I think that's, that's, 
that's important. It's more about what you're trying to achieve than, you know, just sticking to existing ways of doing things. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, about being open to different ways of doing it, because what you're trying to get in platform selection is a, a good fit technically and also a cost model that is affordable. And sometimes you can customise or use third parties alongside the core platform to solve a particular challenge. And still, so you still get the business functionality, but in a different solution, not using just core native. And But the cost model is still cheaper than an alternative platform that has it all built in natively. And so the whole piece comes down, which one best side? I've seen that conversation I've been having recently about product catalogue and multi-storefront. And do you have to go and get one of the top enterprise platforms that has really good market leading native multi-storefront capability? Tick the box, it's all done. You don't need to worry. But then you pay the extra in the license fees because it's one of the, the, the top market leaders especially if you then go down the road of getting their cloud versions, or could you take a platform that's got, got the capability, it's got like the APIs uh, and the data models to do everything you want, but use it alongside a PIM and you pay, you might pay 20 to 30K a year for the PIM, but actually overall the cost of the platform is cheaper doing it that way. And you still get the exact functionality, sometimes even richer using a PIM than you would in the back end of, a, of a, an e-commerce platform. Yeah. We've had that a lot with Shopify um, with like PIM and like, manual or like different syncing solutions and like people are just closed-minded because you know you end up with these different stores and i think the other big one that's shopify focused uh that happens all the time is where you've got a finance stakeholder that just hates shopify and is really anti-shopify because uh one they've been forced to use shopify payments on their primary store and you know there's no kind of like portal to go into where you can kind of like you know have do certain things that you could do in an agent or a brain tree um and it's just a different way of thinking and that's always like a big challenge for me within projects is like explaining all of this and then also they need to use different gateways in different territories where they don't have a registered business or bank account yeah. uh, and they hate the idea of moving to multiple gateways even though there's not actually much of an overhead to it um yeah and same with like the international payment methods which often have to go through a third party and like all of that kind of stuff and you know it's just a different way of thinking um and it's actually not that big an overhead but i've i've had that one quite a lot recently and it's very annoying yeah but this brings us back to the point is transparency of what what's the business trying to achieve you've got to be clear on that and how how does it work with each platform because if you can educate people on how how they can achieve what they want without overly com uh, complicating their their lives but it's just a different process and it's an education piece. But having that transparent, because sometimes I've had this with a, a, a customer who didn't want Shopify payments because they didn't want to be restricted to, to purely Stripe because they were going through a payment evaluation and, and Stripe was behind um, two other gateways that were better suited to their overall business. And sometimes it can be as simple as that and it's not a wrong or right decision, but you're right that you've got to challenge it and say, okay, just because you do it like that now doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way. And at least then you make the decision on merit, whatever way the decision goes. Um, right, so let's move on to which areas does it pay to focus on in demos and why you've got to do demos, you've got to look at a platform and you've got to look at the back ends, you've got to look at its integration, okay? but there's so many different areas you could look at. And normally when you come through these projects, you see, like, there might be 200 requirements in the overall business, four critical capability areas. So how do you, where do you start and focus uh, on and how do you make this meaningful? Yeah, so I think there's, there's so many areas and it does differ, I guess, depending on the business. 
Um, but I think the ecosystem is one. I think, you know, knowing what you want to achieve with the platform over the next three years, looking at the ecosystem, including the agency ecosystem, like knowing what's available to you, like what options you could have in certain scenarios, how quickly, you know, if you wanted to introduce subscriptions, realistically, is it going to be a hundred grand? Is it going to be five grand? Like, you know, is it going to take six weeks? Is it going to take days? Like all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, just like really understanding kind of what's available to you, what's going to allow you to move quickly. Yeah, all of that whole piece. Um, and I think just getting a realistic idea of, you know, how that works, because I think that's more, that's just become so important in like the modern world of econ platforms. And um, yeah. another one uh, you've put here, I'd say multi-store, which we've talked about a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, the admin in general is obviously an important one. I think going through, I think that, Big commerce is probably the best platform I've experienced in terms of like pre-sales and like a consultative sale approach because they're very open. And like I haven't dealt with them much. I know you've dealt with them a lot more than I have, but the times I have, you know, they will put a technical person on the court and they'll literally be like, you know, tell me how you're working, ask me questions. Yes. And you go through it and, you know, it's quite honest, quite transparent. You can see, you know, what, how things work, where you might have to compromise, et cetera. And I think going through the admin and looking at processes and looking at how you're managing data and everything else is important. I think multi-store is an important one right now because there's a lot of new platforms. So beyond the SaaS ones, which obviously don't have like a, a brilliant multi-store offering, you've got a lot of new platforms as well where that's not one of the first things being built. They're kind of building out the core functionality and then, starting to progress into like a better architecture for managing uh, multiple stores Um, and I think that's an important thing to really understand because actually um, and actually what the real impact is so like for example Shopify is a bit of a nightmare in places like up until recently you'd have to edit the menu uh, independently on each store quite a lot of the apps you would be working with independently across each store a lot of the kind of config settings etc but realistically they do have you know, Matrixify and even a native, really strong CSV import-export across the platform. There's various different syncing solutions. You know, like you said, there's like um, quite a big um, ecosystem for PIMs, uh, which can make a massive difference. Um, and I think just going into that level of detail um, alongside, you know, working in the platform and trying to really quantify what that is. And I think what we'll end up with with all of this is like, the whole thing is just being able to quantify the impact and like really like like understand where you're compromising um, and then working out what's actually going to have the biggest impact on the business. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Well, one of the areas for me that that, that I always focus on is, is integrations because typically integrations are things that make or break budgets in projects. If, if you don't have your integration properly scoped and understood um, you can suddenly add tens of thousands of pounds um, to it later down the line when you go through discovery. So a, a good example, I think it starts with clearly defined systems architecture. What is the, and it's not about where it is now, it's about where you want it to be. Um, do you have ERPs? Do you have OMSs? Um, what are the other systems that e-commerce has to fit within? Do you use middleware integration layers, you know, an, an iPass, for example, um, because some projects that is there and it's defined and therefore you have integration specs that need to be adhered to. And that means you then go down the path again, right? Well, we now need to look at a platform that has got um, existing connectors with this and has live cases where this has happened, because if it hasn't got that, we've then got to probe in more detail about how they would solve this for us. 
Um, good, good example, you know, if a client's using Dynamics for its, its ERP, do they have proven connectors? Do they have plugins, apps? But which, which feature capabilities are already handled within the data model for those connectors? Because they might not have everything you need that helps you then determine what level of customization, and then you can probe on customization and what complexity that will add. Um, but equally, it can be if you know if you know a client hasn't got anything in place, and you've got these these requirements for order management and um, you know, data flows, then you can focus the demos on. Okay, well, we need to achieve this. How do we best do this? Do we need to invest in an ERP? Does the ERP need to have OMS in it? Can we use the native OMS stuff to do our basic order management and just stick with an ERP? Do we even need an ERP? Can we go straight into into like Warehousing and shipping, man. The, the, all these questions come out of the architecture. And um, I guess a good one is when people have middleware is you can simplify this process. If they have an integration layer and all they need is data flows from e-commerce into it and e-commerce will inherit logic from other systems, that can simplify the conversation. But you've got to understand that bit and you've got to probe on it and you've got to know how it will work. Um, and if there's any risks flagged up in that discussion at least you can then go down that path of getting into more due diligence on it i think that's a really good point and i think i think most platforms when you so i think starting to system architecture is really important so i think most platforms have pretty strong apis available from an integration perspective like i think almost every platform will give you the options you need there but i can think of a number of platforms particularly some of the smaller ones some of the proprietary ones and even some of the more mainstream ones um, that if you built all this stuff out properly and really understood what you're trying to do, um, actually pre-orders, click and collect, bundling, you would have fundamental issues as a result of the platform um, yeah. in terms of kind of you know matching how you're either how you're doing it today or how it needs to work from a systems perspective. Um, and I think I do think, and you know, same applies with if you if going back to the multi-store piece. Another thing people don't necessarily think about is if you've got five stores you've got a single warehouse you know you're using a single um you know you've got five stores using the same inventory file you need to think about how you don't oversell in certain situations all of that kind of stuff is actually like the kind of things that people miss and then you get halfway through the project or or you commit to a platform because the other side of this is if you're looking at a magento um half the time platform be like yes you can do that yes you can do that yes you can do that it can because it's a really open platform um but then you select the platform you go into you select the agency you go and discover it it'll be like yeah we well, can do that but it's going to be another hundred grand or you know it's like another massive custom module you need to build over here and um yeah all of this stuff is like the stuff that really needs to come out of the wash i guess when you're really evaluating a platform yeah i really like I'm I'm in favour of we talked about this in another episode of avoiding really detailed, lengthy, unnecessarily complicated RFPs. But I'm a big fan of alongside targeted demos of an RFI where the 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 key functionality that you're most worried about is defined from it at a use case level, mm. um, and then you just have columns for um, handled natively. Um, requires configuration, simple, complex, and requires complete customization. And then you give definitions like simple configuration is, uh, you know, one to two days work, complex is more than two days work. And then you get the partner, the vendor, to map out which ones are native, configurable, customizable. And if it's customizable, you can then probe into how, what does this involve? What is a ballpark? Is this a few days is this a few weeks you know is this a you don't know and we're going to have to do a a really specific piece of discovery work on this to even understand it because that's when you start to understand how 
how close to the the standard path you are versus off of it. And I think I think that that brings up other things like like you talking about configuration there. So I was having this chat with someone the other day. So Shopify and big commerce, obviously very mainstream SaaS platforms. All of the payment stuff that you expect from a platform is all configuration. It's literally it's within the admin interface. You go into settings, you go into payments, and you just configure what how you want the payments to work. And and you know, I Shopify strip back checkout. A lot of people don't like it, but you know, it's insanely um, effective. And you know, it's all configuration. And in my view, that's how a platform should work. And that's the kind of stuff where you know again you talk about some of these bigger platforms and it's 30 to 50k to integrate a new payment gateway you know apple pay google pay is an absolute disaster you have to think about going and getting like developer licenses from apple and you know it takes weeks and um all of that stuff in my opinion should be configuration but again like that does have an impact on businesses and that again that's the kind of stuff you really want to look at yeah Exactly. And, and you're coming back to the multi-storefront stuff you were talking about. One area that, that I always find is important is things, if you're if you're working across different territories and different time zones, you've got to drill down into your um, release um, for things like promotions and content updates where you don't want it all going live at the same time off one single, you know, your base time zone. Because um, especially for promotions, like big events, that's critical. And it's amazing how these things get overlooked in the process because it's like, yes, well, we can do promotions. Yes, we can um, have different eligibility rules for different countries. But what if you put your Black Friday promotion live and it's gone live six hours early in one country? Um, how do you manage that? So it, it, there's a lot of considerations where you suddenly realise the mechanics in a platform, how it can do things. Um, can contribute. Another area I always think is really important. I'm not going to profess to be an expert in this area. Um, there are smarter people out there than me in terms of this, um, but I always probe on it a lot. Is shipping management, and this is the this is the is it is it just we got multiple carriers and we have very simple rules, or do we have complex shipping that is de- we're trying to do volumetrics that depending on the mix of the products it will change which shipping methods and couriers are available, and therefore we've got dynamic cost space uh, in there. We're trying to minimise costs to customer, and we're trying to minimise costs to business, and it changes based on on destination because of the difference in what carriers can ship and where. And how do you, I'd love to hear from your point of view what your advice is to people on on how you can what you should try and, and tease out at a platform level i think um i think this one specifically i think you need to look at examples of other sites that are doing things and how they're doing it and then you want the platform to then show how it's working but i mean as you know i'm a shopify fanboy these days um and i think shopify is a perfect example of where the amount of big multi-channel retailers looking at shopify at the moment <clears throat> this is one big limitation of shopify right now with the checkout is if you've got you know really complex um requirements around things like you know um shipping from multiple warehouses for a single order you know really complex pre-ordering really complex click and collect all of that whole piece um you know that is something that you really need to dig in shopify but that kind of leads me on to something else is parts of that can be taken out of the platform and before we before this episode started we were talking about sometimes the benefit of taking things out of the platform and how that can give you more freedom and actually you just push data into the platform in a more simplified way and then take the complexity out of it and i think that's one other thing that needs to be factored into this 
when you're evaluating a platform, quite often people will go and talk to the platform and they'll expect to, you know, be able to go into loads of detail and they'll blame the platform when maybe they don't end up with a solution they want. But actually, they need to be more diligent and thinking about what can I take out of the platform to achieve like better in class or a better solution. And so, um, you talk, so just just for clarification for anyone who's listening who might not be used to this, are you talking about like? creating like uh, private apps and customizing outside yeah, of the platform. Or are you talking about third party existing both. ones like Shipper HQs? Both. So, I mean, there's, so um, I work with David Aston Moses um, who have a few complexities around some of this stuff. In terms, they have a lot of like um, com- complexity around product availability and pre-ordering. And they had to put so much logic behind what they're showing in the checkout around availability and like shipping dates and all that kind of stuff. And they ended up taking it out of the platform. And there's like a private app. They're also using Shipper HQ actually. Um, and they're kind of working together. And there's a few other things where they specifically took it out of the platform. Like they use Akinio as a PIM, yeah. um, a couple of other things they've done. But I think um, quite often, you know, you'll hear someone rule out Shopify or Big Commerce for something. But actually, you know, the management of certain things could easily be taken out of Shopify. Like I worked with Bulletproof and they had a written again, this is the kind of thing where you don't want to come, you don't want to choose a platform based on this kind of stuff. But they had a workflow where they were basically using store credit and um, they had like automated flows to issue store credit to different people at different points based on all these different tiers. And they were like, right, Shopify, you know, doesn't do store credit natively. Um but someone was able to build a private app that did the whole thing work really well, like, you know, custom built around their requirements, cost about 12 grand, but a lot of people, you know, would have um, just ruled the platform out over that. And I think that's a mindset that you need to go into, particularly with the SaaS platform. It is, but this is, I mean, this is a really important point to tease out for people um, who may be newer to this process is one of the key things is to is to help the client understand what, what type of platform they want. Because if you're going down the route of the likes of Shopify, BigCommerce, one of the beautiful things about it is that ability to create the, the private apps, to use the, the existing app partner ecosystem, to use APIs, and you don't have to solve everything in the platform because the whole point is if you can extract logic and just use data exchanges into a platform and use the platform what it's stronger, you can, you can get to the end solution you want a lot of the time. But if a client doesn't like that and they don't want to do that and they just want a, I'm going to call it monolith, it's the best way of using it because it's yeah. terminology people use it and they want it all in the platform, the platform can do it and that platform can be configured and customised, um, you know, like a Magento, then that tips the balance back to a different type of platform. Then you just have to accept the limitations of that model. Yeah, and exactly. There's no right or wrong answer. Uh, one area I've seen this in is, is in product catalogue management. And I, what, a couple of good examples on this is this is why you've got to define what, what are the complexities of your products? Are you just bog standard SKUs? And if so, every platform is going to handle it. Do you have any really complex configurables where you might have a, a parent product with hundreds and hundreds of variants and therefore you've got to understand which platforms enable you that flexibility of the product data? Do you have anything like product versioning? So I've worked with the Wine Society and they have um, obviously different vintages for a wine. New vintage comes in, old vintage is retired, but you've got to maintain that link for people who want to rebuy the same wine, but a new vintage. So if somebody's bought a wine, they want to repeat buy it, but the old vintage is now gone. You have to have that, that link between the SKUs to enable that to be automatically populated so they don't get an invalid SKU in there. Um, you've also got from a point of view of like recommendations, merchandising, the intelligence of the systems to know that, 
okay, well, I need to recommend the new version. You got to think about, um, you know, redirects. Um, so people coming in um, from an old URL get pointed to the new one. Report. There's lots of things like that. You've got to tease out these nuances. Um, and even down, you know, I worked with a jewelry company, and they needed a really com- complex set of rules behind um, configurable products where. Uh, ring size is a good example depending on the ring size it changed the components that were needed to create that ring because of the sizing of the like the, the shanks and stuff and they had different costs associated and that was very would have been exceptionally difficult to manage um you know natively out of something like a shopify or big commerce and that tipped the balance towards a magento and you know it doesn't mean that magento wasn't limited in other areas but but that was one of the biggest challenges in that project so you've really got to understand what makes or break your product data model that's um, another perfect example of um, where there's a lot of misconceptions around Shopify in particular. Um, so people think like, you know, people see the variant in the net and they think there's no way around it. Yeah. Um, you know, people see how simple the data structures are with tagging and meta fields. Um, but equally, you know, that's where like, if you do have a really complex catalog, you can take it out of Shopify, like use a PIM, kind of, you know, have uh, the product data in a much more, a comprehensive fashion and push it into Shopify in a really simple format. So you're not actually working with those, um, you know, tags and meta fields. You're actually, you know, using complex product attributes. It's just being pushed in in a more simplified yes. manner. And like, yeah, again, I, I mean, I think this comes back to, and we've said it before, with, that we historically we've talked about it headless, but all of this, like, it's so hard to compare platforms now because it's just, it used to be like Magento can do this, you know, Shopify can do this. Yeah um hybris can do this but it's not like that anymore like it's just you know the amount of detail you need to go into to get to try apples for apples the question now is how does it do it yeah and this whole thing you get up international seo well you know big commerce is shopify they know it they're not as good they're limited it's subfolders but actually yeah headless well you could you do whatever you want with your url structure um is that the right approach for business can you go down that route and uh, or does it add complicated complexity else yeah exactly it, it is a minefield but i guess the good news is it's, it's the whole point of us having these conversations is hopefully to impart um some knowledge to people that you actually with the right conversation and focus you can tease out uh, and understand which is the, the kind of suitable option so i kind of so we talked about sorry 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 to interrupt you one other thing that there's not a perfect place to talk about in this episode i think it's quite interesting and it's also a question to you is um when we're talking about here about evaluating platform, one thing that's quite interesting is quite often you can't work with the platform. So I would say Shopify sales team, without getting into too much trouble, isn't particularly technical and knowledgeable around how you get around some of the biggest limitations of the platform. Yep. You're going to get the best experience if you start talking to agencies that have maybe worked with similar brands and dealt yep. with these challenges in the past, but yet you go to big commerce and they've got a much better team, I would say, around kind of pre-sales and stuff like that, or like, yeah, some of the more enterprise platforms. And I think um, that's an interesting one to think about because quite often you'll see someone rule out a platform based on their experience of dealing with the platform. But like, how do you think people should approach that? Oh, that's good because that le- that leads perfectly to the next topic, which was how do you run useful demos? How, how, how yeah. do you get involved? Um, yeah, so on this one, um, I, I do you know what? I think I just change with the wind. I yeah. think the, the classic, like it's horses, courses. But I'm I'm now in favour of a hybrid approach. I I really like getting vendors involved when 
the client is going to have a direct relationship with the vendor. If the vendor is never going to be seen or heard, it's just you're buying a software license, that is it. I mean, A, most of the time they won't really talk to you. There isn't someone uh, unless you're a massive company and so critical to them. Um, but B, there's there's limited value in it. Um, however, as you say, there are a lot of platforms, you know, whether it's big commerce, Shopify, Salesforce, um, you know, Centro, you pick them out, out of the, the list where they have those sales teams. And some of them have pre, pre-sales solution and others are more kind of just sales-based and, and, and commercial. And I, I think it's really important for a client to get a feel for them. Like what, understand from them where they're going, what their platform is built on and why, where their roadmap is focused and why, what, what ecosystem can the client benefit and why. That, I think that's really important. But more then move to the second phase, which is right SIs, because you want to speak to somebody who's built it and and dealt with it live and dealt with production and and seen all the issues you get when moving from sandbox into stage into production and managing live instances and blah 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 all that stuff that a technical solution consultant, no matter how good they are, who doesn't work on delivering projects, doesn't have that same reference point. And you get more nuance from the SI partner. So you, you have to have both, in my opinion. And I think that gives a richer thing. And normally I'd say that's maybe a third vendor, two-thirds SI in terms of time allocation. Yeah, I think that's um I think that's a good approach. I agree with like being flexible and like the platforms are very different. Like, yeah, I think it's an interesting one. The other thing with the platforms is quite often they they've been trained on that platform and they're not from like a broader econ background so they don't understand how people work coming from other platforms so they come gender yeah. and move into one of the SaaS platforms they don't understand why someone might want to do something in a different way and they can't talk with the same context whereas i think SIs usually have a better handle on all that kind of stuff as well yeah exactly and i i've worked with a lot of different vendors and SIs like you have and they all have their different approaches. Um, yeah, and I think it's important because do do you like you know where where a vendor is involved in a, at a relationship level, whether it's a remote relationship or that do you, do you like that ecosystem and that culture? I mean, it's in, it's an important decision. It's not the only decision, but you need to you need to factor that in. Um, so, next question for you: How do you run a useful demo? How do you make sure the demo is fit for purpose and not just some generic bollocks that doesn't help anybody? Yeah, I think in an ideal world, like the key that you've just said there, you probably run the demo. Um, so I guess you might want some level of like generic kind of walkthrough or a, a demo to start off with. But for me, I like going into a meeting with, you know, everything written down. This is what we're trying to do. You know, I've already done some due diligence and you get the most out of the demo by having quite a consultative, open collaborative discussion on how the platform is going to meet those demands and what it means for like the day-to-day users and the business um and kind of showing how things will work and uh, and examples i think i'm a massive fan of examples like i one of it's probably a bit of a weakness but when i've done platform selection in the past which i do a lot less of now um I used to like you know like the whole thing you never get fired for choosing IBM whatever the phrase is it's kind of like I've always wanted an example of a similar business that's done it before that's maybe slightly bigger or like you know I like to see proven examples of you know things have been done before and that way it just de-risks everything um, and I think you know if a platform can show that that's always helpful as well yeah I, I, I agree that's really good um 
or even if you know that, say, for example, you your ERP is SAP Business One, and you know that another um, client on that platform has has integrated with it, but you haven't got any idea of how or what they've done, even at an anonymized level to say, we want to know how that worked, um, what what connectors are now in place, what 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 would we you know how far is our needs off of what they've done what did you learn from it i think definitely examples is good um the other thing you need to do is uh, i mean you're right about it. you've got to be up you've got to know up front you've got to define your scenarios you've got to know why you're focused on them you've got to know what you want to get out of it and what questions you want to go ask i always say to clients don't go into a demo with anybody unless you know what questions you want to get answered otherwise you just it, it's a bit like pissing in the wind like what do you want to know about cattle management uh nail you down any questions beforehand and then get the right people in the room because if you don't know what you want to learn and what questions you want to answer how do you know which of your stakeholders have got to get in the room and if you don't have the right stakeholders you end up wasting vendors and si's time and then you have to replicate the session and it's a ball ache and it just drags on and on so you've got to be so succinct about what you're doing and make your you know as you said get everyone briefed they know what's happening everyone comes into the room mentally prepared instead of You've taken you've taken uh, you know Joan from accounts out and stuck her in a room and she has no idea why she's there. Yeah, I think the wrong stakeholder is quite an interesting one as well because I've seen people take like CEOs into a demo and they've just railroaded it, talking about again like the features that actually aren't going to have a meaningful impact, like you know the social integrations or the personalization, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Rather than talking about that, and you know at that point they're suddenly brought into a platform that's not right, um, rather than. And you know, completely changing the focus rather than actually talking about the things that give you the context. Yeah, that's true. It's a really important part of 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 managing up and down the stakeholder list is when you have senior stakeholders and you have to set their heads in the right space and make sure they understand what the purpose is. And sometimes it pays to 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 do a a if you need to a separate little mini session i've done this before i did it for a business owner of very uh, uh, strong brand driven business very very strong owner um and we knew we just had to do a separate session for them because otherwise it would totally just no i knew exactly where it was going if they were in the main one and that helped politically internally to make them feel like you know their all of their uh, needs and wants were factored in but also didn't distract the project team um how do you feel about, um, so you said about making sure it's clear what you want. I like scenario-based briefing where you you create a scenario and go, okay, we are trying to do X, Y, and Z. We want to see these five points of how of how this scenario would run and you get them to talk through what the platform does, um, anything that might need customization, anything where a third party might be need, anything that is a challenge and their thoughts on how they might fix it and where they, as you said, where they've done it previously. Yeah, no, I think that's a good approach. I think um, I would imagine, knowing that we've both done this in the past, I would probably be a lot less prepared than you would be going into these meetings. I think I'd probably have a lot of this kind of stuff in my head. And I think I've probably done, I would have done a lot less kind of pre-thinking going into the meeting just because of the nature of how I tend to work. But I think that's a good thing to do. And again, it's just more context. And that's the key, isn't it? Just giving like context and like explaining how you're going to walk, how you're going to approach them from why and then getting them to give you the solution right it's because i have ocd as you well know and yeah the opposite <laughs> well i think i think the blend is that's why we we seem to get on well because like too much ocd is is not good i don't advise it to anybody um right that brings me on to the to, to our final question we want to tackle today which is 
we talked about some of the key areas you need to understand that will help you do properly understand platform fit. We talk about running useful demos and meetings. Off the back of those demos and meetings, how do you meaningfully evaluate? What is the process? How do you get out the other end where you can make a sensible decision? Yeah, I think um, so you've written here weighted scorecard. I think you have to have some level of weighting because ultimately that's what it comes down to. It's like what's most important to the business. And you've got to really judge the platform based on that. So I think even if you don't have like, you know, a really um, kind of neat professional, you know, weighted scorecard, I think you've still in your head got to know or on paper got to know um, what's actually going to be the most important thing for the business in terms of what you're trying to achieve over a three-year period. Um, So, yeah, I think that's the key, really. Um, And then you've just got to try your best to create apples for apples. So, you know, it might be Shopify plus 15 third parties versus Salesforce, um, but you need to get to a point where you're comparing, you know, a like for like to achieve something. Yeah, that's a critical thing, especially because I had the most bonkers experience uh, years ago with with the finance team at a VC for the brand I was working with, where Salesforce had been selected as the the, the preferred platform before before any hadn't even got down to like agreements. It was just that's a preferred platform. Now we do our due diligence, and it got pulled apart, saying why are we spend all this money. We need to go onto onto uh, I can't remember what was the other platform they were saying. They said we've got someone who's done a, a credit cost model. It's a hundred. Uh, 100 grand a year cheaper I was like okay interesting open to this tell me and they basically they'd done a cost model on the platform that had about 50% of the functionality they hadn't thought about the like for like how they'd replicate the functionality the business is defined as critical to its revenue growth they're trying to grow from 10 million to 50 million without the functionality Um, and then they also hadn't understood um, that the the model they done was based on a ten million pound revenue business, not a fifty million, and it's bonkers. Sometimes even experienced financial people do not understand e commerce cost models, and you uh, and you have to educate them on it um, and and explain to them like, okay, you have a simplistic platform, and it looks cheaper, but when you plug in third parties, is it still cheaper? Sometimes it is. Sometimes a less mature e commerce platform can work out as a better cost model overall. And, and that's why people go down there. But you're right, at like for like is so important. Yeah, and I think headless is the big variable nowadays where people don't necessarily think about all the costs around headless. But, I mean, we should probably do another TCO episode at some point. I think it's probably one of the first ones we ever ran. Um, but yeah. I think it's increasingly difficult. And, yeah, there's so many variables, particularly with those bigger platforms where you need to think about things like penalty fees and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, how do you do a TCO in a headless? Well, there, let, let, there we go. We, 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 we've teased everyone. That's coming soon. Um, yeah, well, do you know what? Weighted scorecards for me are the absolute winner. I, I've got a very, I mean, it's so basic. It's so simple, but I love it. I've got an Excel spreadsheet that I just basically replicate in every project. And it's got a list, all the capabilities, like technical operate blah 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 um special projects whatever it is and then it weights a percentage out of a total of 100 based on level of importance it's got scoring criteria from naught to five uh, and i change the criteria depending on the client and what fits so for example it might be zero is we don't have we can't do it one up to five is is proven mature native functionality doesn't require any cut to da da um, and then we go through it and 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 then each person scores it <laughs> And it spits out a total um, total score. And the great thing is, then if you get platforms that score 
quite similar. I, one I had where the score is 248 versus 242. And you'd say that's neg- that's not enough to say, pick that one over the other. Then you go into your weightings and go, right, for our priority ones, does, does one of these platforms outscore the other one significantly and why? And that could often help you make a decision far quicker than, oh my God, they're both similar. What the hell do we do? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, so you do the weighting. Um, what what next for due diligence? How do you how do you then tease out which one might whether the platform's good or not? Yeah, so I think um, I think you, you just need to go into more detail on some of the kind of things that are going to impact today as well in terms of like that kind of operational side. If there are loads of third parties, what does it really mean for the different teams? And you kind of need to split it out by the different areas. Um, yeah, I think that that's a big one. Um, and then I think, you know, my, like I said before, my biggest thing that I tend to do is just speak to as many people as I can and try to get different, like, and you always need to like caveat different people's experiences based on agencies and their requirements and how they've approached different things. But the more people you speak to, the better picture you can draw, is my view. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I will always go out to my network and it might be direct contacts I know or people I know like you who know people I would like to speak to um you got to get past testimonials I, everyone has testimonials I mean I've got them on my own website but let's face it even as me running Digital Juggler I'm not going to stick a testimony on my site if if a project's gone horrifically wrong I'll be totally honest with people if they ask me you know projects where you have problems why but testimonials talk about things that were successful so that's great but you're right you've got to then go behind the scenes to other people who aren't public testimonials and really pull apart what the experience is like on the not just the functionality, but what's it really like to be using it day in, day out in anger? Yeah. And what are your biggest frustrations? Like what's been the negatives? Yeah. What and what surprised you the most, both good and bad? Because there's always you always get live in a new technology and there's stuff you go, oh, that's brilliant. I didn't think about that. And stuff you go, oh bollocks, I wish I'd understood that understood that better. Yeah. Cool. So we've talked about a lot of stuff. It's been a packed episode. Hopefully it's been useful for everybody. Let's do our usual boil it down. What's the number one bit of advice you would give to people in how to properly evaluate an e-commerce platform? What can they take away from this? I think um, it's a bit of a combination of two of the things we've talked about a lot in this episode. But one is uh, think about who you need to talk to to get the best picture of the platform. Like, Don't just go to Shopify and talk to their sales team or Salesforce and talk to their sales team because you're not going to get the true picture. And then the other one is just make sure you've got enough context to compare two platforms accurately. So the whole apples for apples piece. Yeah, cool. I, and I'll add to that that you don't always have to compare multiple platforms if one is a clear good choice. But what yeah. pays to do is do a objective comparison of what you're already on to understand the relative pros and cons. Um, yeah, mine is not many miles away. It's just know what you're trying to achieve out of this evaluation and write it down so that that everybody who's in your team who's going to be involved knows what you're trying to um, evaluate and why and what's more important and let that drive the evaluation. That takes out so much emotion later on. People go, well, I like it better because of this. And then you just go around and go, but that's not one of our core criteria. Oh, okay. Um, It just, it helps you to focus um, and save time. Cool. So thanks as always for listening. Um, keep an ear open for the next episodes. And please do let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover or any guests you think would be exciting for us to get on. Uh, but do tell us why. It's always useful to know why people want to focus in certain areas. Um, subscribe if you haven't already. 
We'd love ratings on Apple or Spotify or YouTube to help us get our name out there uh, and also to help us know that, that it's still worth us talking about all this stuff. Um, so, yeah, look forward to catching up at the next episode. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.